0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Outside Story. This is our yearly Halloween special. For those of you who don't know what the Halloween special is, every year, me, Jonathan, and one of the co-hosts, Larry, we get together and we just talk about some of the horror films that we've been watching this year. And this is one of our favorite segments or specials because... um We're able to talk about films that we love. And if you don't know, our other co-host, Jessica, she doesn't love horror films. And so, you know, we get to just do this and it's kind of just super casual talking about horror movies and stuff, especially for Halloween because we love horror movies. Anyway, yeah, so I'm joined today with my co-host, Larry. So it's Larry and me. What we have, uh, just a little update for you all this year. We are still working on season two. Of outside story. So that's coming. Lord knows who when. Lord knows when that thing is coming out. But it will be coming out, I assure you. So just keep on an eye out for you know for our season two. And we'll definitely let you all know when that's gonna coming out. For this year's Halloween special though, we do have a sort of an idea of what's gonna happen. This week's episode is about a TV show. Called Midnight Mass on Netflix, created and directed by the one and only Mike Flanagan. Episode two will be about Ghost Lab, film on Netflix, and The Vigil, which is a film on Hulu. Episode three is going to be about The Shed, and then um, Fear Street, which is a film was like a series on Netflix. Episode four is going to be on a movie called The Ritual, which was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix anymore. And Coherence, which is a film on Hulu. And the last two for our final episode is going to be about the films It Follows and Candyman. So if you've seen any of those or if you haven't seen any of those, feel free to go ahead and watch those. And we'll be chatting away about them during this month of October for halloween
1: anything to add larry uh no yeah i want to say i'm just pretty excited for our uh our annual halloween uh if anything we'll always try to um you know keep people updated and as always there will be major spoilers for everything we talk about so you will have plenty of time yep. to watch the rest of the episodes to watch the rest of the media for the rest of the episodes but for today's episodes because jonathan and i are huge flan boys we had to watch Midnight Mass, and we just absolutely binged it the day it came out. So yeah,
0: yeah, which may have been a mistake, but you know, <laughs> I haven't stayed up till three in the morning for a very long time. <laughs> that was the first time I was up at three in the morning. Um, but you know, it it was definitely a good watch. A good yeah, watch. definitely.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess we can just go right into the episode if you're if you don't have anything else.
0: Yeah, let's just talk about a summary of Midnight Mass. Do you want to give that summary? Sure.
1: Uh, just a quick summary of Midnight Mass. So Midnight Mass is a limited series, about seven episodes. It's about this small island community. This island's island is called Crockett Island, We don't really know where it takes place. It's either on the east coast or west coast of the United States. It's definitely in the United States. In this community, it used to be about a couple hundred people, but it just started to slowly dwindle down to about maybe a hundred or so people on this island. And this island is so isolated that only two ferries go to it every day. Uh, So a morning ferry and and, and an afternoon ferry. And those are the only times you can get to the island. Because this island is about 30 miles off the coast from the mainland. And that's what they call the United States of America. They call it the mainland. So this show follows the story of this young man. Young man. He's about in his 30s. This man named Riley Flynn. (laughs) uh, He's not a young man. Yeah. He's a man. He's a man. <laughs> we were man. we were debating he's, at first. He's a grown man. Right, right. We were debating at first. We weren't yeah. too sure what it was at first. He is an, an adult, grown man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this man, the opening of the first episode, we see the scene of a car accident. And we see this man, Riley Flynn, goes to prison for a DUI because he killed someone while he was under the influence. And so he gets haunted by his his actions. And so he decides to go after his release, after his time in prison, which is about four years, he goes back home to the island and starts to see old faces, see new faces, kind of get used to the community again. And um, with that, he also gets to learn the stories of all the families and what's been going on with the community. Around this time, their pastor, or I don't know if you'd appropriate Priest. Way. Priest? Their priest, mm-hmm. um, Mons Monsignor Pruitt, um that's that's his name. And he has been away for this trip he was going on. So this priest has been around like for a while. This whole community knows him. So this priest is rather old. He's older. But when they attend mass that Sunday a new priest steps in and we see that a new priest named Father Paul has taken the place of Monsignor Pruitt and he is he has brought a gift from his journey and his travels that in a way stirs a lot of people and brings about a kind of revival within the island community
0: we'll just leave it at that essentially it's about the community of Crockett Island. It, although it starts off with, you know, one of the main characters, Riley Flynn, you know, it's it starts to branch off a little bit and it becomes a sort of like a story about a, a community mm-hmm. um, and in particular a community of faith, you know, not just the Crockett Island community, um, but the community that, you know, attends the church um, in particular. Mm hmm. Um, that Monsignor Pruitt is overseeing. Yeah, I guess that's it for the summary. Yeah,
1: that's pretty much it. Um, I try to avoid any trailers or anything for this particular show just because I didn't want to have any kind of expectations when I watched this show. And I have to say, I was pretty surprised at how good this show is. I mean, okay, not that surprised because of Mike Flanagan, but at the same time, more surprised in the fact that because it's different like this show is definitely different from *Blind Manor and Hill House and even Dr. Sleep or even just generally it's different from Mike Flanagan's most works because a lot of his stories are dramatic stories with um, strong horror elements but there's actually not too many horror elements if anything it's more supernatural than horror um, and it seems like Flanagan seems to be kind of straying away from that horror genre and is starting to kind of be on that line, kind of like what uh, Del Toro does. Like he's on that line between like supernatural, fantasy, horror. And I think Flanagan is kind of going that route, especially with uh, this kind of show. So, yeah, Jonathan, what'd you think? First impressions, and what'd you think about the show?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, it's definitely clear that larry and i are both huge fans of mike flanagan we've talked about his stuff basically every year since we've done the halloween special and he's done stuff like you know a lot of the stuff that he's done is like stuff that's not his own intellectual property like you know hill house is not his own super original story right it's based off of a book and then Bly Manor same thing based off a novella you know Doctor Sleep based off of The Shining you know Gerald's Game based off a book by Stephen King you know mm-hmm. things like that and so it's good to see Mike Flanagan kind of starting his own or finally doing something that is literally his own like right you know intellectual property his own content you know mm-hmm. his own sort of creation it's feels like that. You know what I mean? And so for me first impressions, I felt like um the pacing was a little slow, but typically that's not that big of an issue for me as long as the story and the characters are really good. I'll just do a quick I guess honorable mention or like quick nod to another film that we watched like a couple weeks ago called The Medium and the pacing for that lord have mercy was so <laughs> slow, you know what I mean? It was a film. Right. And like it wasn't worth it cuz I felt like the story and the characters were just not worth the slow pacing, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, but so I, I have no problems with pacing typically. Like Arrivals is an amazing film, but you know, it has pacing issues, but I'm okay with that. Being a big fan of Mike Flanagan helps because I'm able to be like, oh, yeah, I'm committed to the show, regardless of how slow it is, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're really not invested in Riley, one of the main characters and the story of the community at Crockett Island, then you probably won't like the show in the first like episode. There's a quite a few mysteries that are sort of being revealed to you and if those don't pull you in if you don't have you know a sort of connection and empathy with riley you're not going to like the show and you're probably think it's kind of boring and i feel like the actual plot of the show is not really revealed until like maybe episode three or four (laughs) right yeah (laughs) um that's kind of when the actual plot is being revealed but again mike flanagan is not that interested in the plot He is, but he's much more interested in the characters, and that's kind of what continues to drive me to watch his stuff and really, really enjoy it. Yeah, so
1: I guess we can just start waltzing right into major spoiler territory. Um, We'll kind of bring up some of the other major characters, because I know we mentioned Riley, but there's several, several other characters that play a huge role in this particular story on Crockett Island. But just a warning, we're going to spoiler territory, all right? So Mm -hmm. our next major character is Aaron Green. I guess you can say like a childhood love interest of Riley's when they were growing up. Aaron kind of left the island as well around the same time Riley did. So usually when it comes to people in this community, they either stay on this island for quite some time, like their whole lives, or they decide to get up and go after they finish high school. Riley definitely did. Like he he went out and did his own thing. And so did Aaron. Aaron is one of the characters who just started to experience life, like everywhere. Um, but eventually, after she experiences a rough relationship, and doesn't want to be involved in that kind of relationship anymore, she decides to go back to Crockett Island. And she is uh, decides to have her child on her own. And so the next one is Father Paul, who is like a rather mysterious uh, sort of character who teaches and preaches to the community of faith on
0: that island. Yeah, and pastors for them. You know, mm-hmm. he's the he's the priest who is supposed to replace Father Pruitt in the meantime that Father Pruitt is away. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: The other characters are Sheriff Hassan. He is the sheriff who is responsible for enforcing the laws and watching out for the people on that island. Um, He has a rather interesting backstory. We'll just leave it at that for now. But he's actually not Christian, but he's Muslim. Him and his son follow Islam. And so that kind of separates them in a way, segregates them a little bit from the community next we have Bev keen who is ah what would you say her role is really i don't really know what i don't know the proper term for what she does for the church
0: i mean she's just kind of the main person who cares a lot about the church and Mm -hmm. she's kind of like the person who makes sure that everything in regards to the church is still running yeah so she's pretty devout volunteer when it comes to the church that's that's what i would say (laughs) yeah I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, I guess, yeah, that'd be the best way to describe it, because there's no real title for her, but she makes a rather strong impression for, <laughs> out of the entire ensemble cast, because she can be rather, she comes off as arrogant and rude. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, she does. Yeah. And I guess lastly, we can talk. Uh, she's in pretty much the entire series, but doesn't get that much screen time. It would be Sarah Gunning. She's the doctor on the island who's responsible for you know taking care of all the residents on the island. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and so it's all the characters we just explained and some of their family members <laughs> essentially, because because mm-hmm. Riley has him, his younger brother, his father, and his his parents. His parents. Yeah. Um, and then Sheriff Hassan with his son, and you have.
0: Dr. Gunning with her mom.
1: Right. And then there's um Lisa, which I didn't really mention, but she she does play kind of a rather important role. Lisa is a teenage daughter, the, the daughter of the mayor, and she is in a wheelchair because of a hunting accident uh, that occurred some years ago.
0: <laughs> hunting accident. Yeah. That's, quote unquote. that's the
1: term, hunting accident. Yeah, so. That's
0: what people are saying it is, but it's not really a hunting accident. Right. Yeah. It was a drunk guy who wanted to shoot something and shot at the first thing he saw. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. I have to say, all of their performances are stunning. Every single one of them. I I guess, if, um, if anything, I would say... Riley is definitely one of my favorite characters I think he surprised me the most out of this entire series um because he's not like your typical protagonist you know he doesn't have he has a haunting right and I think Jonathan and I uh, we had this conversation before while we were watching it because Riley has this thing that follows him that haunts him but it's not necessarily something that he's looking to get over it's more like he's learning how to live with it you know and I think that's the biggest difference compared to most other stories because for most stories it's like oh you want to get rid of this thing that's been bugging you your entire life but it's like he doesn't want to get rid of it it's just more like he learns that he has to accept this part of him and i i think that's just great
0: yeah i feel like my favorite character would probably have to be riley as well it's not that you know okay spoiler alert riley actually dies and so um it wasn't that after he died, I wasn't interested in the show anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that, that could sometimes happen. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, my favorite character's dead. I don't want anything to do with this TV show anymore. But, like, you know, um, like, you know, like, well, when... Um, Like when Glenn died in, you know, Walking Dead, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like Glenn was like everybody's favorite character and people were like, I don't want anything to do with this show anymore, you know? (laughs) Um, And so like I feel quite attached to Riley after um, he kind of gives his first monologue in episode one Mm -hmm. um, when Aaron asks him like how he's doing, you know, like they, they I think they walk together after church back home and Aaron's like how are you you know he's like oh yeah I'm doing all right and she's like no like how are you and uh, that kind of just gives Riley like the opportunity to just explain kind of what he's going through you know Mm -hmm. and a part of me feels um quite similar to his attempt to figure out what he's supposed to be doing like like what his purpose is you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um after the super traumatic event of having killed someone in a drunk driving accident, I feel like Riley has a really difficult time accepting the fact that maybe his purpose is just to live, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is a mantra that I personally hold myself to. Just like living for the sake of living and not with like one purpose, you know? Yeah. And Riley has a hard time with that. He, you know, he's like, I'm just living right now. I'm just breathing. I'm just... Staying in my parents' house and eating and pooping and, you know, like, living. And that's not fair because I'm not supposed to be alive. You know, mm-hmm. like, that's kind of his thing. Right, right. And and so Aaron just is like, oh, yeah, just take a day, a day at a time. And he's just like, okay, sure, whatever. And the interesting thing about Riley is... That even before he returned to Crockett Island, I bet he was probably already having troubles with, like, what his purpose was. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because he was drinking a lot and partying as a way to kind of cope with his, like, career, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And and his life. And um, I don't think I've ever been this attached to a character before. At least one of Flanagan's characters. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because when he died at the end of episode four... (laughs) (laughs) So, like... (laughs) It's kind of a long story, but, like, Riley has, like, AA meetings with uh, Father Paul, and eventually the drunk guy who, you know, made Lisa disabled, that drunk guy, his name is Joe, he eventually ends up coming to the AA meetings, too. And then one day, like, Joe doesn't show up, and Riley's like, where's Joe? And Father Paul says, oh, he's visiting his sister. And Riley knows that his sister passed away, like, a couple weeks ago. So he like is like okay, why did Father Paul lie to me? He doesn't say anything in the moment, but then later on, he ends up like wanting to go confront Father Paul about that lie. So he goes to try to find Father Paul, and when he tries to go find Father Paul, something happens and then he (laughs) dies. (laughs) I don't know if we want to talk about the story spoiler right now. We'll talk about that
1: later. But yeah, 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 yeah. But something
0: (laughs) happens and then Riley dies. You know what I mean? And I'm just like. Like, as it was happening, I was like, oh my gosh, you gotta be, you gotta be kidding me. I was like, no, this is not gonna happen. This is not gonna happen. And then after he died at the end of, I think it was episode four, I was so mad. I got up and I was like, you know, fuck this TV show. And, like, Larry can attest to that. I, like, had to, like, stand up and walk away. You know what I mean? Because uh, I was so upset. I was like, how dare they kill Riley? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how dare they? Yeah, I felt the same way, too. Um, I
1: was like, oh, my God. I can't believe they did it. I was so mad at them, too. I was like, man, like, he's, like, one of them. He's, like, right when we start to really, you know, get to know him right. and start to really love him and all right. this. He decided to like take him off <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah but you know also being a fan of mike flanagan i, I kind of knew that that wasn't going to be the end for riley you know that something was going to happen and so i was just like i don't i don't think he's really dead that that was my sort of sort of thing i was like i don't think he's really dead i don't think so but we'll talk about the story later so mm-hmm. yeah my favorite character is riley by far mm-hmm
1: I guess we can just move on to the story now. Um, yeah, because we talked about our favorite characters, and we keep <laughs> talking about Riley because, like, literally, Riley. <laughs> I think, ri- I think Riley actually defines the show really well. Like, he's the image of the show. Like in Blind Manor, you have the Manor. In Hill House, you have you know the house, the house. <laughs> <laughs> and for Midnight Mass, I guess you could have the congregation. You could have the church. You could have all that, but but I think Riley is like the face of, you yeah. know, of Midnight Mass, and
0: yeah, and I think ironically, Riley is the um the Christ figure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like in in the show, right? He is like the reason why not everybody ends up dying. You know, what yeah, I mean? <laughs> like like he's the reason. So right, right.
1: Um, yeah. I guess we'll just go right into the story.
0: I'm just going to come straight out right now. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's a vampire story. So for those of you who have not watched it yet, sorry, (laughs) but it's a vampire story. Um, So Father Pruitt on his trip to the Holy Land, the trip that he was on, ends up kind of like blindly, like in a daze, comes upon this cave on the road to Damascus and in the cave is this sort of vampire-like creature who, like, bites him and then gives Father Pruitt his blood. Which essentially, in turn, actually turns Father Pruitt into a vampire himself as well. But for some reason, the transformation with Father Pruitt is a little more mysterious, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because Father Pruitt then kind of returns to a younger form of himself, which is actually Father Paul. You know, Mm -hmm. So Father Pruitt and Father Paul are the same person. The interesting thing about Father Pruitt slash Father Paul is that he doesn't have an adverse effect of being in the sun until he dies for the second time, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because the first time he dies when the vampire bites him and gives him his blood. Mm -hmm. And then the second time he dies when he comes back from some sort of thing. And then he dies all of a sudden. And it's only after that second death is he adverse to the sunlight. Because before then, he was standing in the sun, no problem, you know? Mm-hmm. But essentially, it's, it's it's a vampire story. And so uh, Father Pruitt is, had come back to Crockett Island with the blood of the vampire in order to give it to his community so that they could become young and immortalized like him. And so he's, what he does is he starts to put the vampire blood in the communion, in the wine that, that they take for communion. And at the end of, I think it was episode two, little Lisa, or little, she's not that little, it's teenager Lisa, mm-hmm. <laughs> who's in a wheelchair, has been taking communion. And he essentially asks her to stand and walk to get you know, the body of Christ during communion. And everybody's like, oh, what are you doing? This is this is humiliating. Why are you trying to embarrass her? But then she gets up and she walks and she grabs the bread, you know, mm-hmm. or the wafer, rather. It's not really bread. And this kind of starts this whole sort of, like, movement, a revival of people wanting to come to church because people are sick, people are not doing well, and they essentially want immortality. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so they believe that... Father Pruitt can give it to them. And he can kind of give it to them, you know, with the vampire blood and stuff like that. Right. Do you want to take it from here? Uh, shortly
1: afterwards, people start to, you know, as Jonathan said, more people start coming to the church. Mass is just getting bigger and bigger. But Father Paul starts to see the adverse effects of taking vampire blood too many times. And that would include adverse effects from the son. And so he is not able to attend mass to do his teachings uh, on Sunday mornings. And so eventually he starts uh, because it kind of aligns with Palm Sunday and Easter and uh, those times. So mm-hmm. he's able to kind of use the evenings as an excuse and says, hey, we're having service in the evening, you know, because this is the time when Jesus was risen, etc. Or, you know, when he dies and gets risen, et cetera. And so he uses that. And so people start attending churches, his church stuff in the evenings. And for Easter Sunday, they have mass at midnight. So that's why it's called Midnight Mass. And at this point, Father Paul intends to give the vampire blood to the entire community through a, what you would call a baptism <laughs> by death. <laughs> and so, um mm-hmm. so Riley catches on that this is what Father Paul is trying to do, and he doesn't want anyone to, to do this. In a way, it's wrong because you're... It is wrong. You're telling white lies, you know? It's not really this, but it's something else instead. And it's against people's understanding of the entire truth. And after Riley dies, Riley gets sired by the vampire. Um, Sired is a term we use when vampires pass on or they convert humans into vampires. So this main vampire sires Riley and Riley becomes a vampire himself. And he doesn't want people, like, as amazing as the gifts are and amazing as the powers are and your capabilities, this isn't something that he wanted to begin with. And so, to better tell the truth, he goes and tells this to Aaron. He tells the entire story to Aaron, and to convince her that it's real, Riley and Aaron kind of sail out to the middle on the Oscars of the island and wait for the sunrise. And when the sunrise hits, Riley dies from the sunlight. It's a very tragic scene, um, but then Aaron is definitely convinced that okay, what he's talking <laughs> about is pretty real, as ridiculous or and crazy as it sounds.
0: Yeah, or something crazy is happening. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right.
1: Yeah, um, and so so now the story kind of follows Aaron and how Aaron goes around just tries to convince the community that something is going, something crazy is happening, you know, and it's not a good crazy. They realize that they do plan the big reveal or they do plan the big baptism on Easter Sunday at midnight mass. And so they try to have a plan, find a plan to stop it. But things just get absolutely crazy because father Paul and, um, Bev, they're the ones who completely cut off the Island. They're the ones who completely isolate the Island to make sure no one can go out. No one can ask for help or ask for assistance. And they, cause they want to make sure the entire Island will be turned into vampires. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's pretty much the gist of the story.
0: Yeah, and then their plan after, you know, converting the island was to get to the mainland so that they can convert everybody else, Mm -hmm. like the rest of the world. What were some of your, I guess, favorite episodes or favorite monologues, if you had any?
1: So... As per tradition from Mike Flanagan, a lot of his works will have monologues. And uh, there's a lot of monologues in this show. Sometimes you don't even notice their monologues just because you realize they kind of segue right into it and they're just talking. And you just, before you know it, you realize the characters are just, you know, monologuing. Um, but absolutely, mm-hmm. one of my favorite monologues is when Riley's at the chapter at Crockett Island and Riley talks about the stuff that he's seen growing up like in the church because he talks about how like we are taught or we are supposed to be doing a lot of things but we are just okay with the circumstances and okay with how things are and so he doesn't feel like he's moved to do stuff to do things and yeah absolutely like that that monologue that hit me because that's definitely like something i've experienced and that i've seen too you know, in a church environment, in a church setting. I also liked Aaron's monologue about her mother and how she wanted her to clip the wings of doves. Mm. That was a really good monologue, too. I was debating on that monologue or her other monologue where Riley and Aaron talk about, like, what it is they, what they think happens when they die. Like, those two Mm. were really good monologues, but I have to go with clip
0: wings for Aaron. I definitely agree with, um with episode two where Riley is having the AA meeting with um, Father Paul. It's interesting that episode in particular because in that episode, it was the Ash Wednesday service. And for those of you who don't know, Ash Wednesday is like one of the holy days in the Christian calendar where it marks the beginning of Lent, which is like the 40 days that leads up to Easter essentially. Mm Mm-hmm. Um and so during Ash Wednesday Father Paul has this like super fiery sermon about like rebirth and resurrection and Easter and all these things and then like later on in that episode like you know Riley in his conversation with Father Paul starts to go into this sermon like monologue about how, like, suffering in the world is and how God being the good God that he is makes it so that the rest of us don't have to do anything about the suffering in the world because, you know, quote, God works in mysterious ways. And in and because of that, suffering can be a gift of God, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we've heard a lot about this in, you know, in the faith that we've grown up in, you know what I mean? Right. Like, um, and, and, and it's, it's super easy, you know, to just kind of say these sort of, like, religious platitudes and just be like, oh, yeah, everything will be okay. God works in mysterious ways, you know, like, God has a plan, you know, like, et cetera, et cetera, which, like, is said so many times during the show, you know, like, there are so many religious platitudes that are just kind of, like, happening over and over and over and over again, no matter how crazy or how weird or, you know, how difficult things get these characters continue to just kind of be like oh yeah god has a plan for you don't worry or god is with you you know things like that Mm -hmm. and those are very difficult things to say to somebody you know like when they're going through a hardship you know it's best in those situations in my opinion to just not say anything at all and just be there for them you know Mm -hmm. but anyway i do agree you know that that the second episode is very powerful in that they juxtapose both you know father paul and riley you know Mm -hmm. in their sort of beliefs there so i very much like that episode and then i would say that definitely the monologue about what happens after death between the both of riley and aaron are both they're they're both quite powerful as well Mm -hmm. and then the ending monologue too with aaron right um her sort of final words as um as the show is coming to a close, mm-hmm. I think is quite powerful.
1: Right. Yeah. So this show actually, I don't know if I mentioned it before already, but this show didn't hit me until the next morning when I woke up. Like we watched this show rather late at night. It, well, we watched it at like 7 p.m., but then it ended at like 2.30 in the morning, 3 in the morning. <laughs> um. So I couldn't really process a lot of things. But when I woke up, I actually had like, like as I thought about like what happened in the show, like, a lot of it kind of reflects my own journey, too, with uh, with religion and Christianity. And so when I realized that, and when I when I realized, like, all, all the things that the show talked about and what they brought out, I was like, man, like, I've seen everything, you know? Everything that happens in this show, I've seen it, you know, uh, growing up. And it kind of, like, it's so weird seeing, like, your own journey, like, you know, in a film. Like, when you think of Christian films, you think of, like... The really feel good, the really, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know that sort of stuff is like oh, Cheesy. the yeah, the journey, the this and that, etc. Like this show is actually, if you really wanted to put it in a way, it's technically a Christian show.
0: <laughs> yeah, know? it is. It is a Christian TV show. Yeah. Yes.
1: Um, just, yeah. but then not in the way people are expecting because it's definitely, it's definitely not feel good in that way. It's very tragic in terms of like how of how like the story unfolds um and so like i i I literally did woke up like like crying a little bit here and there because like i definitely saw a lot of my own personal journey in this even now i'm still processing it because you know we're recording this like literally the same weekend but it just reminded me of like how religion can bring out the best and the worst in people you know Mm -hmm. um and kind of like because in 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 the show Riley for Riley it was alcohol it wasn't really religion that really pushed him to do certain things right it was alcohol alcohol brought out the worst in him and that's why he's attending AA meetings you know and for me personally I never understood why people like alcohol because I've only seen alcohol in the worst in people right and so that's why that's why I always thought I'll never drink alcohol I'll never do this and that etc right but As I tried it and I enjoyed the company of other people and started socializing with it, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, this actually is very pleasant. You know, I enjoy this time I have with friends. You know, with friends and family doing this. And so, for some people, alcohol can be like that. You know, it can be a very enjoyable time. But for some, it can absolutely be like, be the worst moments and bring out the worst in them. And I think it's being made as a comparison to religion as well. You know, for religion, like, I've definitely seen... People who follow their faith, people who are in their beliefs, absolutely, like, they're the best versions of themselves, you know? And they're, like, the best people in the entire world. But I've also seen it in the worst. I've seen people become the worst versions of themselves with religion. And I personally have to say that about myself as well. Because I personally believe that, for me, religion brought out the worst in me. And I've seen it in myself, and I've seen how it's affected others. And it's so hard to really explain... Like when people ask about like, oh, how's my faith? How's my this and that, et cetera. I'm like, I can't like kind of like what Riley says in the show. He says, he's like, I don't know, you know, and I'm still Mm kind of like that, too. I don't I don't really know. But like, you know, throughout the show, like Riley actually follows the prayers, does the et cetera. And Aaron asks him, like, you know, why do you do this? Like, why do you still go along with it if you don't believe it? Uh, And then Riley says, well, I know it. And it's true because Riley was an altar boy, you know, and he grew up with that background. Like for me, like, yeah, I know, I know Bible verses. I know Bible stories. I know, I I know how it goes because I grew up with it, you know, that's like 25 years of my life. I grew up with it, you know, and it wasn't really till recent where I started to kind of look at things in another way. And so like for me personally, like I definitely felt like religion brought out the worst to me. And for a while, I've kind of held resentment against that too. So that's why when people brought up religion and all this other stuff, like I started to kind of hold it against them in some way. But at the same time, that's when I realized that, you know, it's but for others, you know, just because I had that same bad experience of, you know, if per se re- religion ruining my life, I know it's definitely saved some people. And I know it's definitely, like, helped some people, you know? And it's, like... Father Paul in the show says, you know, alcohol isn't a good or bad thing. And I like to say the same thing about religion. It's not really like a good or a bad thing, but I have definitely seen both sides of the spectrum of where religion is good and bad for some people. So,
0: yeah, I don't think, you know, Mike Flanagan is painting any sort of like thing saying that faith is bad or religion is bad. Like, I think some people would get that from watching this film Mm -hmm. uh, or this TV show rather. (laughs) Um, I think some people would would get that, like, oh yeah, like Mike Flanagan is a heretic and he hates, you know, faith and Jesus and Christianity and blah 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 blah. But you know, there are some actual like really good scenes where you know people of faith are actually using their faith for positive things. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like um, at the very end, when Bev comes and tries to smoke out everybody out of the house, like, so there's like a group of survivors who are like trying to rebel against, you know, the Easter vigil, you know, baptism or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they end up get, getting into this house and Bev comes over there with like this, like, you know, like homemade grenade And like starts tossing grenades into like the home. And she's like, I need to speak with you, Aaron. You know, like, let's have, let's finish our conversation from earlier. And Aaron is getting ready to go and she's telling everybody else to leave. And Riley's mom is there. She's in the, with the group of survivors. And Riley's mom says, actually, Aaron, like, you leave and let me go talk to Beth because I need to say something to her mm-hmm. and so Aaron's like, "Okay, I'm not getting in your way. <laughs> you know what I mean because right, right, right. she looks really serious, you mm-hmm. know what I mean, and so Aaron's like, "Okay, are you sure? Are you sure?" she's like, "Yes, and so Aaron leaves, and Riley's mom goes out to confront Beth, and in her confrontation, she uses like a lot of stuff when it comes to faith, you know what I mean that are very true. Mm-hmm. To use up against Bev because Bev can't handle the truth, you know, like the the true truth of of who God is and what God does. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And one of the one of the quote unquote truths is that God loves everybody equally, that God doesn't have greater love for one person compared to another person. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That God just loves everybody equally. And this is one of the truths that like Bev could never handle. You know, because she wants to be loved more by God than everybody else. So she tries so hard in her own life to make everybody feel as if they're shit, you know, mm-hmm. so that she can feel like she's more loved by God, you know. Right. And so in that moment, Riley's mom is just like, listen, there's something you need to know, <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> is that God doesn't love you more than anybody else. And God loves everybody just as much as God loves you. And I thought that that was very powerful, you Mm -hmm. know, and for me was one of the scenes where it's just kind of like, oh yeah, like this is definitely like Flanagan's not saying faith is a bad thing. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just that like people often use faith as a way to push their own agendas. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And they often use faith and religion to justify things that should not be justified. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like suffering, for example, you know, a lot of people use God as a means to say that people's suffering is okay. And that is not something that you should do. You know what I mean? You should never tell somebody who, you know, just got their legs amputated that, you know, this was God's will for them, you know, Mm -hmm. or that you're closer to God because of your suffering. You know what I mean? Like you should never say things like that, but people say it all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, it's ridiculous. Like you're not supposed to say those sorts of things. Like it's just, I don't know. Like, like that, that's the sort of person that Bev is, you know what I mean? Bev mm-hmm. Keen, the character sort of encapsulates all the people who continue to do that and continue Mm -hmm. to use religious platitudes in a way that is very hurtful for people you know and i think that you know riley's mom is somewhat of a good example of like coming to terms with her faith and at the end you know sort of continuing to hold on to it you know Mm -hmm. especially like her and her dad i mean um her and riley's dad Mm -hmm. like They had that conversation at the end when they both became vampires. Um, They were both sired. They both became vampires and they're looking at each other and they're like, there's blood all over you. You know, Mm -hmm. is this your blood? And then they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is only my blood. It's not someone else's blood. It's only my blood. And they ask each other that because, you know, they're saying that, like, they have this hunger within them. You know what I mean? A hunger to, like, you know, kill people and drink their blood. But they can control it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not something that is, you know, that is not controllable because everybody was acting like it wasn't it was uncontrollable, Mm -hmm. you know. Right. But for the both of them, they're like, this is I can do this, you know, Mm -hmm. it's I can control it, which I thought was really interesting, you know, Mm -hmm. that the both of them could sort of do that. But nobody else could, you know. Right. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's my spiel.
1: Yeah, I definitely think Riley's mom, she surprised me the most, especially during that scene that you just mentioned where she walked out and confronted Mm -hmm. her um, because that definitely is something that needs to be said to a lot of people. And for some people, it's hard to find the right words but also have the courage to do so, you know? Um, And I definitely give props to her character for sure. Um, And and also, Mm -hmm. um, Father Paul kind of has like a redeeming moment near the end too. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make
0: everything he did right, but right. he does have a yeah. coming to for his character. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, he's done some mess ups uh, for sure, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. To say the least, you know, he just brought a vampire and fed it to his entire community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I kind of wish Father Paul's, I guess, what he was going through, like his struggle, was revealed a little bit earlier. Because when it was revealed, it felt just kind of like, you know, blam. Like, this is everything, <laughs> you know? Um, mm-hmm. Like, like oh, this is exactly what I was going through. I was like, oh, uh, I kind of wish that was a little bit hinted at. It was kind of hinted at, you know? Because Father Paul actually did give personal mass, you know, mass sessions mm-hmm. to um, Sarah's mother, Mildred. Yeah, so I guess that was kind of hinted, but... At the same time, when it was revealed that Father Paul is Sarah's father, like I, I was like, like whoa, okay, I wasn't really, I really didn't see that coming. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, he did kind of have a, a little bit of a moment to himself where he realized that out of the hell that he broke loose, <laughs> um, that he realizes that he can still come back and still do what he can. And I think for a lot of people, um, to kind of drive yourself into that kind of pit is very easy to do. And Father Paul almost did that too. He was like he's like, oh my God, like what did I do? You know, I totally ruined this community. But Mildred just kind of reminded
0: him of like, you know, what can be done now, you know? So one sort of final thing that I think the T V show does well Or at least that it touches upon is this idea of mortality that like, even though some Christians have this sort of very firm belief that after they die, they're going to go to heaven, that for some reason, people still very much cling on to life as if, you know, there's nothing else after life, Mm -hmm. you know? That life there's just death and that's it, you know. But then, you know, Christian, the Christian faith teaches that, you know, there's heaven and that Jesus gives eternal life. And so it's interesting that, you know, people, especially people like Bev, you know, in the TV show, like even after she was given this sort of eternal life thing and was in the face of death, she didn't come to accept it, but rather tried to fight it, mm-hmm. you know. Even though she, her, for herself, if she really did believe, you know, then, then why was, why is she so afraid? I'm not saying that like people shouldn't be afraid, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But then it makes you think twice about sort of why Christians or some Christians like have this such a strong belief in the afterlife being heaven, but clings so much to the things of this world and of life. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I think it begs the question that like. That this life is meaningful, you know what I mean mm-hmm. it it kind of sort of begs this idea that like maybe this life is very meaningful, much more meaningful than you thought you know there's this song by an LGBTQ Christian artist named Alex Blue in the first verse they write, I spent most of my life waiting for what happens after I die and I think that a lot of Christians uh, I'm not saying all of them but the majority of them hold true to this. You know what I mean? Like they spend their most, of their life waiting for heaven, you know, and waiting for what happens after they die. And yet they cling on to life. You know, we cling on to life as if this is all we have, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? There's just kind of like um, paradox or contradiction, you know, that's kind of happening there. And the truth is that like, we love this life and that's Okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like this life is wonderful and that's okay. And I think that some Christians just have a problem with that idea, you know? Yeah. But then we're not made to hate this life, you know, Mm -hmm. we're made to love it. And I think that the show kind of has that theme as a part of it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess the last thing, I want to bring up is that for this show, a lot of characters just kind of process and see the world differently, um, particularly Bev, who definitely tries to pick a Bible verse or a Bible story out of everything that happens and uses that as an excuse <laughs> for a lot of things. I definitely know someone like that. Um, and it was not very pleasant to be around that person because
0: mm-hmm.
1: around that time I had very, I had trouble trying to say something, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you can't exactly mm-hmm. say anything wrong. You know, Um, Uh because it's like it's hard to counter that because it's like, oh, you know, but they're using the Bible and it's hard to say anything against that. You know, if I say anything against Mm -hmm. that, I'm a heretic. Um, But that's not particularly the reason why I kind of, you know, walked away from from religion and faith. There's a bunch of other things for me personally. Like I went to a Christian college and I've definitely seen a lot of crazy stuff, you know, like revivals. Miracles, And I've seen like people accomplish so many amazing things because of their faith. But um, for me, like I realize my faith or like my fruits weren't born out of like evangelizing or condemning people or declaring spiritual warfare on others. But I actually made a better difference by keeping an open mind and an open heart and being there to listen to people. And not really saying much, not really having to bring up all the, you know, Christian platitudes and all those other things, you know. So that's why I personally turn away from it. It's not that I can't really say for others who do turn away from it. But for me personally, like, I haven't seen the best version of myself with it. I've only seen the bad things with it. And, you know, maybe one day... It'll be different, but I'm not, I'm not sure, you know. And I think that's the biggest thing that Riley particularly struggled with. And I definitely, like, sympathize a lot with him because a lot of his journey reminds me of my own journey. And I think this story, Midnight Mass, can definitely say a lot of things, uh, maybe about your own personal journey, not just in your faith or your religion or your beliefs, but just life in general, you know, what it means to, like, move on to the next day, what it means to keep living life. And I think Midnight Mass is definitely one of Mike Flanagan's best stories he's written for sure.
0: Midnight Mass is one of those TV shows that asks hard questions. And I'm glad to see that it is asking hard questions that Christians themselves are not willing to ask. And I think that maybe that is... One of the main things that makes Christian media is so watered down and so, you know, not great is because it's not willing to pose hard questions and it's not willing to ask hard questions of the stories that it wants to portray. It's missing sort of the realness and the authenticity of the human experience and the ways in which we participate in life in the ways in which we experience life. You know what I mean? It just takes these broad strokes of what life should be like and puts it into a film or a TV show. And I think at times, like, that's fine. You know, like, I'm I'm okay with a Hallmark movie every now and then and <laughs> a cheesy, you know, sort of film. But, you know, if, if you want to make something that is going to strike at the hearts of people and ask them the question of life or what they believe happens to them after they die an approach like Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass is an amazing way to capture sort of the beautiful moments of what life brings to you and so I really much appreciate Midnight Mass and I really really enjoy enjoyed um, the journey in which Flanagan takes us with this community of faith whether for some people that's finally falling in to the corruption that they have over the power they have or coming to terms with walking away from faith or stepping more fully into it and knowing that, you know, they had much more happiness in life because of their faith. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoy this TV show. Definitely. Give it a watch if you have not. And if you haven't and you don't like scary stuff, I definitely hope you at least enjoyed the conversation that we had here today. Yeah,
1: I do want to emphasize that although Mike Flanagan usually tells horror stories, I think this one veers more on Supernatural. A lot of horror elements aren't really there.
0: Yeah, I would say the number one horror element that is there is probably gore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, it's not that scary.
1: Yeah. So, um definitely give it a shot like Jonathan said give it a watch if this is something that sounds very interesting to watch because definitely like this is something that not a lot of shows are willing to talk about and if you want to call this or classify this as a horror story you know jonathan and i love horror stories because horror stories can talk about things that are the hardest to talk about and yet to present it within the horror genre and This is the best way to look at religion within the lens of horror, not the exorcisms of demons possessing people, okay? (laughs) None of that. This is, like, strikes at the core of what religion is, you know, and what faith means to people in a community. This is that kind of horror story.
0: Although, honorable mention, The Exorcism of Emily Rose is an amazing Mm -hmm. TV, I mean, amazing film. Right. Um, to watch if you are interested in the intersection of exorcism and actual faith slash religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, give that one a watch. Definitely. But don't watch the conjuring. Please. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> Alright, so that is sort of our conversation slash review on Midnight Mass. Again, if you haven't seen it, give it a watch and let us know what you think. Thanks so much for tuning in to the outside story Halloween special twenty twenty one Uh, We're so happy you guys are here. Please, please, please um, join us again next week for our next episode, which is going to be on the topic of death. And the two films we will be watching are Ghost Lab, which is on Netflix, which follows two doctors who are very, very interested in the idea of death. And the other film is The Vigil, which is about a young man who is a shomer in the Orthodox Jewish tradition somebody who watches over a dead body after sort of the initial rite before the body gets taken to a funeral home to get prepared for the funeral (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so um yes so it follows a shomer, a young man who has to um keep vigil over a body for one night those are the two give them both a watch the vigils on hulu and ghost lab is on netflix all right thanks for tuning in i'll see you guys next time